This episode of ACMG Presents Talk Time Live is brought to you in part by Viewfinders Identity Search and Design. Your choice for web design, graphic design, and all multimedia development needs. Visit VFISAD.com and let us bring your vision to reality. This is Tom Gibbis, the voice of Shikamaru Nara from Naruto, and you are listening to ACMG Presents Talk Time Live. And it's not a drag. It's time. Talk time. Let's go. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on and let's get it. Talk time. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on and let's get it. Talk time. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on and let's get it. Talk time. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on and let's get it. Talk time. Live. Started in the 80s with Matt Cross. Dudes in the hood might have called that soft, but I carried that cross like Jesus did. Fast forward, I teach the kids to learn how to let go, live life, and show love to all things that don't matter where y'all from. And luckily, there's a show called Talk Time. We've been waiting for this for a long time. Dax kicks the facts on all the geek news. Special guests and unbiased reviews. Suburban kids, the hipster street dudes. All can learn something new. Me too. I heard words when no faith is empty. I stayed the course, so my haters tempt me. Beat the podcast, that'll make them envy. It ain't too trendy. It's ACMG. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on and let's get it. Talk time. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on and let's get it. Talk time. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on and let's get it. Talk time. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on and let's get it. Talk time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the journal of my life that covers all things anime, comics, movies, and games. This is ACMG Presents Talk Time Live, the Prime Show. I am your host, Xavier Josiah. Folks, what a hell of a week that we had. Such a milestone, historic, and monumental week. On the same week that we get to see justice for the murder of George Floyd, we also get a new Captain America and a new face of America in the world of Marvel Studios. And we're going to talk about all that and much, much more in this episode. We also got to talk about Mortal Kombat and our talk topic of the week. We finally get a chance to see that. I'm going to get my thoughts on that. We also got some huge, huge news in regards to Repop, in regards to uh, Disney Plus and Spider-Man, in regards to the new Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings trailer. I mean, we're going to talk about a lot this episode, so let's not waste any time, folks. Let's find out what's new in the world of ACMG. And now it's time to find out what's new in the world of ACMG. Right. So to start with some good news, one of many points of good news on this segment is from the good people at Repop, uh, the company that caters to all things anime, comics, movies and games on the East Coast. The company that I had the pleasure of working with just recently for Anime Week on the Repop Metaverse has announced that they are now going to be promoting the coming of physical shows returning in 2021. 
we got the four major shows that they work with all year round. Now, for those who know Repop very well, and you know, they have, you know, the main cons and then they have the smaller ones, much like the new one that they had here for uh, Philadelphia, Keystone Comic Con. They're starting back slow right now, it appears, and they're going to focus more on the bigger cons right now, which I totally understand. <laughs> it's it's a great strategy, I believe, for them to do this. And um, we're going to get them. We're going to get the big ones and they're coming back. And then, you know, hopefully next year, which we got to notice that saying that they're going to um, work on getting Keystone back up and running in 2022. So I'm OK with that. And it's totally understandable due to the circumstances of last year. So, but with that said, Florida Supercon is coming back. New York Comic Con is coming back. C2E2, that's a big one in Chicago, is coming back. Emerald City Comic Con is coming back all this year. Florida Supercon is coming September 10th and 12th. New York Comic Con is coming back in October 7th and 10th. C2E2, December 10th to the 12th. And Emerald City Comic Con is December 2nd to the 5th. So it appears they're going to be back in the same schedules that they were before. I, I believe one of them are uh, one of the uh, schedules is different, but New York Comic Con, which is absolutely their biggest con uh, that they do, that they work on. And it's the biggest con in the East Coast that rivals uh, San Diego Comic Con. That looks to be in its normal schedule, which is always the, like early in October. So I am Look, if you listen to this show before, you know I'm extremely happy about this because that opportunity was taken from me in 2020 when I was supposed to go there before. And I even went as so much as to, you know, during my birthday week is my wife and I just went to New York to basically spend time in New York and also to case out the place so we know what's the best strategy to do this when this actual con came. Of course, when we did this, it was 2020 in January take you don't need a crystal ball to predict the obvious on what happened after that in New York in January of 2020 so just let's just say we had a lot of fun but we came back and um we didn't feel so good coming back after that and we felt miserable for a nice little few weeks so I'm not saying it was what it was but it just damn sure could have been what it was because it damn sure wasn't the flu so but it is great to know that things are coming back to normalcy and um, with about, I believe, 80 million people vaccinated right now. It's no doubt by the time we reach October, it is no doubt that this is going to happen, that that the CDC may actually change the rules in terms of, you know, mask wearing and such. And, you know, I think there's going to be a lot more positives leading down the road unless I God forbid, knock on wood actually do have a wooden uh, desk here unless something majorly happens like another pandemic or whatever which I clearly hope it never it does not happen um, this should be a great turnout this should be an absolutely great turnout and uh, I am jumping on this as much as possible I don't know right now whether I'm going to be a part of it but I absolutely want to be there I know I was supposed to be a part of it last year, and I don't know if things can absolutely change, but we'll see. Uh, I know I am working with them for with their um, virtual panels right now, so I don't know if that's going to transition for New York Comic Con, you know, because the things that were happening last year may not happen this year. Who knows? But 
I am working with them. And speaking of which, um, you know, there's something in the works that is coming very soon. Uh, my next mission, if you will, <laughs> with Repop uh, is in the works. So I'll let you guys know in the meantime for that one. But I am looking forward to this. This is I've heard so many things about New York Comic Con and it's it's high time. I make my appearance there, uh, whether in a big way or, or a small way or whatever. But I need to make my appearance there because it's just ironic that I am my my face is plastered on the pages of the uh, of the uh, Facebook pages and, and, and Twitter pages of New York Comic Con and C2E2 and all this stuff. I have never been to not one of these darn events. So the only repop event I've been to is Keystone Comic Con. And I've been trying to go to New York Comic Con for so long. And now all of a sudden, technically, I am <laughs> from a virtual standpoint. You know, if you count my office at this point connecting to them. Yeah, I, I have at this point. But I, no, I need to be there live. So I am I am looking forward to this. I, I'm absolutely looking forward to this. And they also announced that more announcements are going to come soon. Um, probably in, uh, when it pertains to the guests and whoever is going to be a part of that. So. I am so ready for that. So here's to you. Normacy is slowly but surely coming back. Speaking of uh, Normacy, it involves the MCU, Sony, and Disney. And Marvel Studios, I should say, at best, has locked an agreement to stream all of Spider-Man MCU movies to Disney+. Plus. This is finally coming in. It's the one thing that's kind of is that's absolutely missing in terms of the movies anyway. I haven't even added the uh, the Netflix series, which does connect to the MCU and, and stuff like that. So um, that's not, I don't even know if they're ever going to be there. But regardless, the more important movies is the Spider-Man movies. The Spider-Man movies will be on there. Now, there's a bit of a stipulation to this because uh, I, recently a deal has been made by the two giant uh, companies to allow all three Spider-Man movies starring Tom Holland, including Homecoming, Far From Home and the upcoming No Way Home that is coming December 17th, which I guarantee I will be in theaters to watch that. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm fully vaccinated, of course, both my wife and I. So we are ready to just, you know, do it. <laughs> We're ready to do everything we haven't done in a year. So uh, but all of them will be added on Disney Plus. Now, there it, the stipulation with this is that those movies will come to, uh, to Disney Plus after Netflix gets the opportunity to stream them first, along with a host of other Sony movies that is coming to that streaming network. Netflix and Sony made a deal that will bring all of uh, all of the upcoming Sony movies from 2022 to 2026 directly to the Netflix library. Added to that will also be the other Spider-Man movies. So they're going to get a crack at it first, and then Disney Plus will be allowed to add it on to the entire system. To the entire library i should say and then making it absolutely complete now when they do that i hope that disney plus and they've been doing really good in terms of uh user interface and and in organizing these i would say when it comes to organizing the order of the mcu they've done pretty good but i believe there is a bit of a minor mistake in the order of it because i remember i was watching the entire thing and one of the movies i think it was ant-man and a wasp needs to be before or after another movie if i'm correct so and i know it's disney that put it together but some things don't connect <laughs> in a way because of the order that they did 
But other than that, once they do that, it should all basically, they should make it whereas if you want to watch every movie in order, they should allow every movie to be connected in order. Some type of flowchart, you know, you know, system uh, within the system that allow you to flow right through every one of them and not manually get out one and go to the other or whatever like that. Hopefully they'll do that. They, it, Like I said, they've done pretty good in terms of, you know, organizing the phases to this uh, to all the cinematic releases or the chronological releases or, you know, the movies. So I'm looking forward to it. That's awesome. I figured we were going to get it sooner or later. I'm saying we like I'm owning or as a football team or whatever. I figured they would get it sooner or later and uh, we would be able to enjoy it. But, you know, you never know when it comes to Sony because they could they could be a little bit bitter <laughs> about certain things, especially when it pertains to Spider-Man. We've seen the history of this stuff. We wouldn't even got Spider-Man Homecoming or any of those movies had not been that situation that happened a while back with um, with the Pascal uh, controversy. So of those emails. So I, I'm just very happy that this is all happening and they're making lucrative bucks off of Spider-Man. MCU has made some of the best Spider-Man appearances ever to date. So I... I, I I, I embrace this very much. What else that I embrace here is the new trailer for Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. I don't know if any of you got a chance to see it this week, but it looks action packed awesome. I am so ready for this. Um, let's talk about this trailer. The trailer starts off in a dark, empty dojo where our hero Shang-Chi, played by Simu Loi, or uh, yeah, I'm pretty, or Lu. Uh, if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, he enters while he's reminiscing about his training. We then see him doing crazy push-ups that lift uh, him off the ground. Another clip shows him uh, and best friend Katie, played by uh, one of my favorite uh, actors, comedic actors, I should say, Aquafina, working as valets and hanging out out of the town. Uh, the trailer transitions again to the past training and then showing him uh showing him fighting against an army of ninjas at least that's what i believe they are uh the biggest treat of this trailer comes in the form of the real mandarin which by the way i'm i've, I've heard a few people say this but you know after watching a mortal Kombat movie their mandarin the mcu's mandarin because he's not wearing a beard or anything looks exactly like shang soon on mortal kombat like if you guys watch mortal kombat if you see this trailer they not only have the same hairstyle they kind of look the same in a sense uh of just the costume design the facial structure everything they look pretty much the same the only difference is shang soon's whole eyes dilate in black that is it otherwise they look the whole look of them is just the same i wish they would have kept with the beard or something or give him a beard or something they would have kind of differentiate him just a bit but the colors of the costumes and everything they look so much alike and i'm surprised nobody i haven't seen any memes about that yet i haven't uh, i think just people were just glad that it's not bing kingsley even though bing kingsley did a pretty convincing job possibly being a mandarin before we found out that he wasn't the mandarin <laughs> but um now we get to see it but it also to me this is going to legitimize Iron Man 3 because everybody was pissed, mostly because two reasons why they were pissed about Iron Man 3. One was because Iron Man 
didn't wear his iron shoes to the to the end and it wasn't the premise it wasn't the the purpose of the story um there there was a reason for that and i i myself respect it two was the fact that ben, ben kingsley's mandarin was not the real mandarin and then if you watch the one shot you know short film that had him on air we do discover that there is a real mandarin and now we see the real mandarin here so now the thing was i always was i was told or i read that this movie was going to be based on the past and it doesn't look like it, it looks very recent it looks uh very up to date in terms of uh the the timeline if you are like it's in a modern same modern time that we see you know all of the other heroes right now so that's going to be interesting to see where that lies but the trailer then goes uh to a scene where we see the bracelets powered with strange energy that is coursing through a warrior's arm one can wonder if that is actually the 10 rings of mandarin because they didn't show they didn't exactly show the rings now if you guys remember on iron man 3 ben kingsley had rings he had 10 rings they might be changing up things it could be that they're changing up things and the rings are actually bracelets that'll be worn on whoever holds it which i'm, I'm okay with if for those who don't know about the mandarin the mandarin actually which is crazy now the irony of this is that the mandarin is iron man's greatest villain like tony that's tony stark's greatest villain that's biggest villain that like that's mandarin and the iron man is to reed richards and dr doom and victor von doom is it's a spider-man and doc ock it's that type of level but we don't have tony stark anymore so we got this new character that is coming in uh shang chi who's not really a new he's been around for since like the 70s and such uh i remember going to the uh 7-eleven back in the 80s when they used to sell comic books in there and i used to see those comic books in there as well i might even have some here in my in my uh stash here with um that was that i inherited from my old friend because i know he collected a lot of really cool old stuff that he keeps in very mint condition here so be interesting i need to go check that out but that's a lot of comics so i don't know <laughs> i just got them all safely stored in in boxes here but you know uh the mandarin is a kind of a household name to comic book fans out there so it'll be interesting to see where they go but i don't mind the idea of you know the rings being bracelets that power them up they still going to answer to like the fact that he's using these uh whether they're going to be alien tech that's a whole nother thing as well so we're going to play into that and you know we in god are we going to see fin fang foom <laughs> possibly in this that hasn't been mentioned and that could easily surprise us as well so uh we also see go to multiple clips of fighting from the past and future in here we then see Shang fighting on a bus where Katie asks, who are you? And that's when the logo for the movie comes up, followed by a crazy scene where Katie is driving the bus and staring, uh, staring at safely a woman almost falling out and uh, is saved by Shang as Katie manages to slow the bus down. She then, the camera goes to her and she says, we make a good team. Let me tell you, Aquafina and the MC, I, I just love all of these I, I gotta look. I really wanna I really, really wanna research this because in eleven going on twelve years that Marvel Studios has been uh, producing movies, 
they have a, they have acquired some of the most established award-winning group of actors that I've ever seen. I've I've I honestly never thought I would see so many established actors. I mean, Aquafina is one thing. I could definitely see Aquafina being a part of something like this. But there was a time where, like, and I say this all the time, it just astounds me to see people like Angela Bass. Well, Angela Bassett should have been on Air Storm for the first place, in the first place, but that's a whole new thing. Owen Wilson, Robert Refford, Julia Louise Dreyfus. Like, these are actors, like, these are award winning actors. That we, I don't know if Owen Wilson is an award winning actor, but still, there are plenty of Oscar winning actors that are being a Forrest Whitaker. I mean, like, that is being a part of these great projects to which we would have never saw years, decades back because, you know, stories like this, movies like this was beneath them. It was a kind of elitist thing and it was a career killer at one point to be a part of a superhero film. You know, I mean, shout out to Christopher Reeves and all those who pioneered and successfully did it. But for people to be, you know, actors back in the day would turn their nose up at the idea of being on a superhero movie because they thought it was too cheap and lowbrow. The writing and probably because at the times the, the writing was lowbrow. They didn't think like comic book fans back then. And none of the actors, I mean, or directors or anybody weren't comic book fans at the time because they were at a time where their their ideology was we you know comic books are for kids we can't make we can't create a sophisticated type of narrative for these things and in fact this generation the last generation last 11 12 years maybe probably even 15 because of blade and and x-men we've learned that we can make a very sophisticated narrative and especially now with, you know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and all the stuff and, 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 and uh, who else? Um, Jessica Jones. We could create very realistic narratives to fantasy, uh, like franchises. We've done it. Like Jessica Jones won the Peabody Award because of the nature of the narrative that touched on a lot of deep, uh, you know, rooted situations going on in the world. Falcon and the Winter Soldier as well, uh, Black Panther as well. I, I mean, it's been done. It's been done, and and we're we're doing we're being able to do it more and more now. And I think that's what's exciting, exciting these actors now to do this is that you know it's a challenge to them to make something that is based on fantasy, give it a realistic take for it, give it something a little bit more you know natural, organic to it, even though it is based on a fantasy, even though you're shooting around with. You know powers and and lasers and whatnot and you know you're flying and all this stuff you could bring a humanistic element to these things now and i i really i we that's why i keep saying like this is, this is a great time to be a fan this is an absolutely great time to be a fan out here so that movie is coming out in september it yeah they've been working on this movie for quite some time i felt like it it, it doesn't feel like as long as it is, but it, they've been working on this movie for quite some time. And it's great that we're getting this in Spider-Man this year, as well as Black Widow, which I really, really want to see after watching, um, you know, the recent events of uh, Disney Plus and all this stuff. So real quick, I want to talk about, <laughs> I want to talk just real quick before I go into Invincible and 
Falcon and Winter Soldier. I want to talk about Bird Girl. I watched this show, and I'm still going to watch the show. I like the show. I don't love the show. And if you're if you've been a fan of Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, and you found out that they were coming out with this spinoff series to this show, you had to be giddy like I was. And I've watched this. I think it's on its third, fourth episode now. I like it. But I was I'm, I'm slightly disappointed at it at the same time because I was expecting to have this wacky out of this out of pocket type of, you know, comedy. This is good, but it's kind of a little bit more conformed and, and in control <laughs> compared to the other show. I don't know. I, I, I The problem was, is that I had somebody uh, who, you know, I put out a post actually asking about this and, you know, because it, it's not as much as a, of a spectacle as it as it was for um you know as the other one was because it, it what made Harvey Birdman Attorney at Law so great was that not only they were just out of pocket with the comedy and it just it was just like they just let everything go and there was no holds barred <laughs> to this but they also did it with all the iconic Hanna Barbera characters and some of the most insane scenarios that you would not expect them to be in you know the boo-boo and in the yogi episode and the flintstones episode and you know just having them do things that you were not expecting the hanna-barbera characters to do because you grew up with hanna-barbera characters this one they took away the hanna-barbera aspect of it It, there i mean there's no characters that you remember no nothing nothing it's just bird girl her assistant and her co-workers along with that and they're taking over the agency that was uh owned by the uh the guy with the patch from harvey Birdman attorney of law and it's it's okay it's it has its moments but it's just there and they don't have any characters that stand out um it was funny because i gotta give somebody credit for this but you know jp uh uh thigh bolt in our acmg facebook group on my post, <laughs> if you watch, if you watch Harvey Birdman, Attorney of Law, you you get this. But he wrote on air because I I said you know it it just it it just it, it's not as completely out of control and unpredictable as uh, Harvey Birdman was. And he replied, "They didn't get you get that thing you sent them." And if you guys remember that line, that's that's one of the most pivotal, famous, funniest lines from the hippopotamus that we see on in a Hanna Barbera cartoon. And he works for he worked for the company and he would always you know he was always kind of the guy who always can get you something or you know but it was always kind of like on a on a down low type of deal and that was one of the like that's a famous famous iconic line from that show and again they don't have characters like that in here it's just a show at this point you know and it's good but it's it, it just it just doesn't stand out i don't know where hopefully they'll it'll flesh out better i'll do like some of the characters on there now but it, it, they just don't stand out and it just doesn't pop as it does before so i mean hopefully it does but it, it, it i i i would i was expecting more i was a little bit disappointed with that but we'll see i'm i'll still be watching it and in the, the actress who played bird girl from the original one is reprising her role for this the difference is is that on harvey Birdman attorney at law she was she was kind of she reminded me of lola bunny on the looney tunes show 
uh, the recent Looney Tunes show that's on HBO uh, Max, which is kind of like a more an adult version. But Lola Bunny is kind of, you know, that shit crazy <laughs> in a sense. She was like that on on the original Harvey Birdman Attorney of Law. But now she's kind of laid back. And like I said, and, and conformed in this one, it was like, OK, she's you know, she's taking over the company, but it's like she's it just doesn't it's not it's something missing it is just, just something really missing that makes this show pop for me if it wasn't based upon the original show then it might still be like better for me but if you're putting you, you gotta you got some shoes to fill with that show that show was so good it even had a video game made by capcom in a in a form of a phoenix Wright, you know type of simulation game and it was just there's so much greatness to this to that uh series and i want the same thing to be on this because i was really excited to this and right now i'm not so much so i will hopefully we'll see about that so all right let's get on to the latest episode the second to the last episode of invincible real quick this show you know what is so bad about this show the fact that it's so good but not enough people are talking about this show. And I think a lot of the reasons for that is because of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And it's so much that this show actually airs a day early now because I think they believe that it kind of interfered with what was going on. You know, or maybe it was already premiering at eight o'clock at night or whatever um, on Thursday or whatever. I don't know. But I swear it was airing on every Friday. But now we're seeing it premiere at nighttime. And I don't blame him. <laughs> because Falcon and the Winter Soldier took over people's life. That's all people were talking about. And then on top of that, this week alone, you had the premiere of Mortal Kombat, which people are also talking about as well. But I feel like this show deserves a lot of attention, which is why I talk about it every week, because Robert Kirkman is awesome. I mean, just absolutely awesome in writing and personality uh, in his fandom. But man, here we go. We learned this week that Debbie is still arguing with Nolan about why she, uh, he killed the Guardians. Nolan doesn't explain why he leave, uh, why he did and leaves um, and then ends up fleeing the situation. He deflects from the situation, if you will. Debbie reluctantly joins up with Cecil while trying to contact Mark to warn him of his father. Like everything, everything in this episode is coming down because next week is the season finale. So you figured a lot is going to happen in this episode to set up for what's about to happen next week. Nolan also discovers that Cecil and the agency have been monitoring him the entire time, which leads to him killing off all these agents, including Donald Cecil's right hand man who kills himself to save the others with an explosion that was detonated from uh, in the house in case of this. Uh, yeah, Donald's super dead, but Omni-Man is not. Cecil even intervened by using a teleportation device to get Omni-Man to uh, reveal why he did what he did. Nolan still refuses to explain Cecil. This has to be a family tradition because them not revealing secrets of whatever seems to be their thing. Mark has done it with Amber. Um, and now Cecil's, I mean, Nolan's doing this with Cecil and, and Debbie. It, it just seems to be a thing with them. Meanwhile, speaking of which, Mark finally does reveal his identity to Amber, but lo and behold, Amber also reveals that she already knew and is still mad that he uh, didn't tell her before because of trust issues. Kind of understand that. 
you know when amber in previous episodes used to say you know what do you you know she used to invite mark and you know eve to do things and she would make the remark of you know what else you got to do you got a time that you got to save the planet that was i kind of was wondering if that was her actually saying that she knows what you guys are doing then in fact we now know that that is the case so but she's still mad at her it looks like they're slightly not going to get together but this also leaves an opening for eve to you know kind of run up in there and maybe something happened on season two who knows or or even next episode uh we also see, this was a big one we also see robot uh we finally find out what he was up to because when i thought he was i thought honestly that he was trying to work with the Mueller twins in order to you know recreate or regenerate or rejuvenate the uh the new guardians of the globe in case something happened because of what happened with monster girl and in black samson now nah, that did not happen actually in fact what he was working on was that first of all we found out that robot is not really a robot but a disconfigured being looking for a new body he transferred his mind and body onto the robot which is why in previous episodes you saw that there were different robots that were coming in and they were being destroyed or whatever like that to you know try to help cure monster girl so that all makes sense uh we thought he was kind of like an ultron figure no he's just you know the robots is just vessels for this guy i forgot what his real name was by the way uh, unfortunately i'll forget forgive me for that but turns out but that's what he was teaming up with the mauler twins and made that deal with him about not only does he have a new body now but he appears to resemble a younger version of rex which freaks rex out and i don't blame him and he did all this to, uh for monster girl as he has a some type of he has feelings for her and we thought we didn't know what type of feelings that robot had but we now know what this other character this new this other person who really was the robot has so it in fact is possibly a he's having feelings for monster girl here and monster girl as we know still is you know she has a curse every time she turns into a monster she gets younger by the time so I don't know what's going to happen with that situation there. Monster Girl was in fact kind of freaked out at the idea that he did this as well as Rex, but they're willing to look into that and, you know, but at the same time, they can't really talk about it right now because their biggest focus is on what Omni-Man is doing and Cecil is letting them know that, you know, you guys need to stand by because there is a possibility that you may be facing Omni-Man and whatever happened you know to the original guardians and why that blood stain is there could happen again so stay tuned for that in another scene we have omni-man facing off against a kaiju and a horde of cyborgs sent by sinclair the scientist that they fought in the last episode which i knew i knew that this was going to happen all courtesy of cecil when they took him away last episode and and mark asked him uh, invincible Mark asked him, you know, are, are, is there, are they going to be okay? And what are you going to do with Sinclair? And he said that he was going to put him away. And I'm like, that's bull crap because he saw what he could, you know, how the cyborgs handled, uh, Mark in the fight. Now take note, Mark is not nearly at his full potential. 
yet. So I'm sure that's probably the reason why he was getting handled the way he was. Had he probably been in the same potential as Omni-Man, that would have been a whole different case. <laughs> Hence the situation that happened here. Because they didn't do but so much when it came to fighting Nolan, you know, uh, against him. The Kaiju either. Now, here's the really, really messed up part. Is that both Invincible and Adam uh, find out that, you know, he is in trouble, not knowing why he's in trouble and decides to help so this mixes up things debbie's watching this cecil's watching this um cecil manages to call to hold adam eve back uh, from the fight but doesn't really explain why <laughs> and tells her to return to headquarters with the uh, guardians to, for uh for safety because cecil doesn't know where mark's allegiance is gonna lie once he knows about what's going on the Mahler twins reveal what they were doing in the last episode um at the very end when you know those two kids were digging up on the ground based on a reddit uh <laughs> a reddit forum that they were on uh and we finally know what they were going to do in terms of revenge and they were going to revive the immortal and they did who once he became whole again because if you guys remember omni-man chopped his head clear off in a uh in the first episode uh his memory stayed intact he remembered everything and he with their success they managed to do so as the immortal returned with the enraged passion to kill omni-man immortal finds out uh where he is and uh it sets out to try to kill him only to be killed once again but this time by nolan but this time in front of the entire world who has him on camera live in real time along with mark who saw him punch a hole through immortals body so it's all out in the open now nolan killed a killed one of the guardians of the globe people were wondering why the immortal was even alive again how did he live because he was one of the you know members reported dead and murdered in this whole entire thing and at this point it was at that time nolan looks at mark and tells him we need to talk and that's how this show ends from there it is all going to go down next episode and i i pretty much know that mark is not going to hear it mark is going to end up fighting his father i don't know was i thank goodness debbie's still alive through all this i don't know what's going to happen to cecil we still don't know what the hell happened to art if you guys remember last episode art was leaving his shop in fear and all of a sudden, Nolan's right behind him. He has a bunch of beers with him. They have beers on the rooftop. And Nolan's getting really kind of shady with him. And we don't see anything after that. So that leaves an open-ended type of situation. Hopefully open-ended and not a plot hole as to what happened to Art. Did he kill him? Did he not? What happened here? Because Nolan knew that he knows about his situation. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Hopefully they'll fill that gap in next week and we'll find out for sure or whatever that we'll find out but another great episode from invincible and the season finale is next week so i'm looking forward to seeing how this ends because it's gonna end all hell's gonna break loose i don't know if the guardians of the globe is gonna you know help out or whatever or what's gonna happen here but and you know damon darkhold we still don't know the situation there and you know now that the cat's out the bag are they gonna bring darkhold back you know just so much going on right now just so much you know what's debbie going to be in this situation i'm surprised i was really afraid for her life and apparently they managed to make sure she they, I, 
look, because I like again, I didn't read the comic book. I know some other people probably didn't read the comic book. They're watching this for the first time ever. We don't know what happens to Debbie in the comics. I'm just glad that whatever she's still alive right now, because that was worrying me. She was being too bold in this thing. Like, but it goes to show how much you know Omni Man Nolan loves her that much that you know he's not even thinking about doing anything with her you know in terms of uh you know murdering or abusing her or whatever like that so that's a relief right now but again we don't know when the last episode is gonna uh what's gonna happen in the last episode so we'll see so all right folks this is it this is our main event of this segment this is the reason once again 11 going on 12 years of marvel cinematic greatness and they got me in a position where i get emotional there's only a few times i got emotional while watching a marvel project yandu when he actually when they did the funeral is not one time that i haven't watched that, that i haven't got emotional black panther i forgot what's the there's i think there's another one but now we're gonna add falcon and the winter soldier in the finale because it's official people sam wilson has now claimed the title of captain america along with a new suit that resembles that of the comic book in minute detail thanks to suri and wakanda this suit looks exactly like the comic suit it is i don't think that all of all the suits that they've made that they designed for these characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think this is probably the most accurate of all of these suits that we saw in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, in reference to the source of the comic designs. This was spectacular in every way. And it's one thing when I read the Sam Wilson books, when he first became Captain America, I got to admit, as a black man, it's hard to really see him or envision him actually as you know captain america in a sense because you don't get it and a lot of times you need to see it in motion and thanks to the marvel cinematic universe we actually got to see him in motion we can really imagine him donning the costume taking over the role taking action and taking control and we got to see all of this you know i think it was hard because when you watch it when you read it from a comic book standpoint it's hard to really, you know, fathom it because it's such a huge thing. Um, it's it's in its depth. It's hard for people to believe in it in a certain case because of what we all been through throughout our years. You know, every one of us in the black community has been through some tal some type of trial and tribulation, and our ideology is kind of warped and jaded in a way that we don't think that we're ever going to see, um, you know, visuals like this. And to see it in this landscape, in this format, and in, in this aspect, millions of billions of dollars has been spent to make this man, Captain America, make him look like the dude. I it's 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 unbelievable. I I wish this was one of those moments when they when he first came in and broke into that window. That was one of those moments I wish I was in a theater because I guarantee you a crowd of people, a packed house in the theater would have went crazy, like batshit crazy. 
in that theater cheering for him. And even on follow following up to that, when the senator in the GRC asked, who are you? And he very confidently with conviction said, I'm Captain America. The crowd would have went crazy. And I know black Twitter went crazy and I know social media went crazy. But, you know, again, it's really great to see that, read that. But it's really even better to hear that. It is a moment. That moment just it, it stands the test of time right there. It was awesome. We see we saw Sam embrace it along with the shield as he fought off Carly and the Flag Smashers who are looking to take out the GRC Council in New York as they were discussing the approval of what it was called the Patch Act. Uh, and it was something in regards to like, you know, transferring refugees from one place to another, whatever like that. It almost sounds like the ICE type of situation uh, in the real world. You know, so they, you know, they were working on that. We also see an awesome fight between, uh, between Sam and LeBlanc, AKA the Leaper, played by the greatest of all time MMA uh, champion, uh, Jura St. Pierre, and here GSP, if you will. Sharon actually comes in to help. She actually comes back into the country to help despite risking being caught for crimes against the country. And we'll talk about Sharon a lot more as this go along. Trust me. Uh, John Walker continues the fight again after, you know, working with Val, the person whose name I shouldn't be announcing, played by Julia Louise Dreyfus. Uh, he comes back to the fight. His he his whole thing is to try to get revenge on Carly. Uh, this was beyond epic on all grounds. Seeing Sam in the suit is just really taking on a new lead. Uh, his wings even work better than the original. I mean, he does some things with the, with these wings that are just awesome. Um, and we'll talk about we'll talk more on, on, about uh, John Walker as well because he we come to find out that he's not much of an asshole as he as he was at least the MCU version at least, and that's actually pretty good. I was really my target my idea was to actually hate this dude, but you know he's still that whatever that whatever that was happening with that serum is still in him but he's starting to come out of it he's starting to think with his wits we saw this you know through the entire uh episode and he started making the right decisions in in some cases uh and started actually work with sam and bucky in this case to to stop them instead of trying to kill them so um that was actually a pretty good deal to see there uh the climax of this battle comes to an end when we see Sharon reveal herself to be the power broker while also killing off Carly and maybe killing off LeBlanc before Sam and the rest of the uh, discovered this secret. Now, here's the situation here. First of all, let's talk about Sharon. I never thought in, a, in, in my mind that it was Sharon Carter that was the power broker. And that's that is deep because I was looking all through, I was researching all over the internet, trying to see if Sharon Carter was ever a villain ever. And it's not the case. This is very interesting. I mean, we still don't exactly know what's going on and who she's been talking with and who she's working with, but she got a lot of, con you know, connects in there. And this is deep, but for her to be the power broker and Carly explaining like, you know, you wanted to get revenge for, you know, them turning on you, but I'm trying to, you know, change the world. So we know that Carly had good intentions, but just went about it the bad way. But Sharon has bad intentions. 
in this case that set the tone for stuff she shot look she shot uh leaper after leaper tried to you know upsell his deal for like four times the amount and if he if she didn't that he was going to tell the world who she that she's the power broker he shot her but it didn't look like it was a kill shot like he he clenched his body he fell but i don't think it was a kill shot they didn't really really show that leblanc is dead so i'm hoping that's not the case because i really do want to see george st pierre more of these um these shows or movies or whatever i not only do i want to see him now i want to i've seen enough of him in here and i'm very happy that he uh that they brought him in but now i want to see him with gear i want to see him become the leaper i want to see him because george st pierre can can handle his own but i want to see him actually you know with a suitor and doing what he what he's supposed to be doing because in the comics he's just a guy with a huge ability to jump really high and, and be very agile and flexible which george st pierre can be in this case but like you know give him a give him a few tech give him some tech and all the stuff to do what he could do and see what happens from there but it was a great scene to see him you know in this entire episode and him make a comeback and they they they're using you know george st pierre more because you know he, he was highly teased in winter soldier and we got to see him more fleshed out and developed here so that was awesome and that to me as an mma fan that was a treat for me as an old school mma fan i should say you know during the days of jurassic pierre and anderson silva and all that stuff and vandalay silva you know and rampage jackson like that right there was a treat for me so i i dug it so we, we after all this is done we have uh sam you know all right let me rephrase that we have captain america carrying out Car uh, Carly, who's now dead. Uh, they put her in, you know, the ambulance. And then you have the GRC, which includes the Senator and other, you know, um, world leaders thanking Sam or Captain America for, you know, saving him from the terrorists. And they kept emphasizing the word terrorists. And this led to a very important scene where Captain America has a deep discussion with the senator and the GRC council about how not to label, you know, people, you know, for stuff. And I honestly, I could repeat the transcript of what it said, but I will not do it justice. Like this is a, a scene that everybody should watch. It is a, it was, it felt like a scene that was definite direct message to Congress right now, like real world Congress here because of the decisions that they've been making or not been making lately you know why people are still in the in the jam right now and this was perfectly written uh, perfectly written and well said by uh anthony mackie here he, i mean this was a great like i have a dream type speech almost similar to that of t'challa when he was in the uh in the world council you know the world leaders uh council or whatever in at the end of uh black panther it was that level and he has this discussion about how they can help not only black people in the country, but also other around the world. He also talks, I mean, he directly also talks about how people, you know, when he call, he takes over the stars and stripes, that people are not going to accept him, that he can feel the tension around him even now. And this was awesome that he addressed this because this is also a real situation. If you, many of you have 
read the comic books in the last five years, you know that this was nothing new. This is nothing. This, him becoming Captain America is not something new that just happened for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This has actually been already the, the, the torch has already been passed five years ago with Sam, um, you know, because Captain America got too old or whatever like that. There's, you know, something happened during the secret invasion or whatever. I forgot which uh, saga that was, but it led to Sam becoming Captain America. And when this happened, when this was announced on social media and everything, we got to hear so much hate so much racist hate about this and hashtag this is not my captain america and all this stuff and he will never be my captain it was just ridiculous it was it was just ignorance it was full of hate and to those people who question that's not their america you don't understand what america truly is and what it's supposed to be about <laughs> you got the wrong idea what what this country was supposed to be built on you also forget who helped built this country and who actually built this country who put the foundation in it you don't know your history but i digress we had these issues and for years and to marvel's credit they stuck to their guns all the way all the way so much so that we actually got a chance to see it in theaters we first got this nod on endgame and when i first saw that, that okay that was another crying moment for me. That right there. That was the other crying moment was the uh, the emotional crying moment was Tony died. They had the funeral, but then they passed that. Then Steve passed the shield on to him. And I, you know, much to my surprise, much like when I was in the theaters to see Avengers the first time. And at the end, they had the end credit and we saw Thanos. I was at all. Because once again, I was like, oh, my God, are they actually going to do this? Are they actually going to give him the shield to become Captain America? And then we get Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and they're just slow burning it to him actually embracing the idea of this. And then making it into a conversation piece about how black people are treated in America to how he was, you know, fearing accepting such a mantle and him being able to take it on. And then you had Isaiah Bradley as well here who was a pivotal role in this. I, my goodness. This was just unbelievable. This was, this, for those who don't realize it, this series, this entire series was built upon celebrating the value of black people in this country. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I could not be any happier about this situation. Um, Carl Lumby, as much as I loved every actor in this show, Carl Lumby is the MVP of this show. His portrayal of Isaiah Bradley was a standout moment. It was a standout performance. I swear to goodness, if this man doesn't even as much as get nominated for this role, I am going to cry so much foul to this because he absolutely deserved. This was an incredible role that he made. I am so enamored you know and at all i've seen him perform you know roles before he was on supergirl recently you know as john jones father he was um he was john jones in 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 and uh what was that uh justice league unlimited he was the mantis i've seen him in other roles before i don't know what was it about isaiah bradley that he took it but he really 
dug deep into this role and man, you felt it. You felt him. You felt his anguish. You felt his pain. You felt everything about him and what he went through. And it was just beautiful. Beautiful portrayal right there, man. Ah, just loved it. But you know, that that discussion that he that they had with the senator and telling the senator that they can easily make change to help people and help people's lives better. I think one of the lines I do remember Sam talking about is the line where he uh says, you know who's in the room with you when you're making these decisions is it the people that is impacted by the decisions that you make or is it people like you who are not affected by those decisions and that was a that could have mic dropped the moment right there but he just he had so much more to say and it was like how can you deny his words if you put that in and in, in, in just put congress in front of that how can you deny those words you could have went, you know, <laughs> no filibuster can stop those words. No, none at all. It's just, it's just unbelievable. I mean, direct message to Congress indeed. Um, as this discussion goes on, we see Isaiah and his grandson who, you know, if I'm correct and I haven't looked this up, I need to look this up because his grandson, I believe they're setting the ground for him. They're setting the ground for him. And I believe he is a character in the comics. Um, goes by the name of Josiah, I believe. Um, I forgot the, the hero name that he goes by. Let's see. I'm going to find this right now. But, you know, as he's doing this, as he as he's, you know, talking through, you know, with the with these guys, he um you know, Isaiah's watching this and, you know, he's saying the words, he kind of said some words that were based upon their conversation. And you can see the look on Isaiah's face as he's, you know, talking to him and he's starting to realize that this guy is the real deal, that he is, you know, he's a dude that he's really serious about what he's wanting. He's not going to stop, you know, fighting for what he believes in. And it was just a great, it was just a great thing to see. I am trying to find this kid and Cass, is that him? No, Eli, it is Eli Bradley. Eli Bradley, I believe, if I'm correct, and whoever's, whoever's listening right now, and especially if you're in the ACMG Facebook group, he is Patriot, yes. So in hindsight, this kid who is played by Elijah Richardson, who I really enjoy, and they just, they're just laying the seas down because you know, you, you're gonna have the Young Avengers coming. They already announced that they're going to have um, Riri Williams. They got Miss Marvel that's coming soon as well. So you got all these characters that are set up. They're setting up Patriot right now. So the new generation is coming here. I am ready for all of this. I love it. Uh, I absolutely, absolutely love this. So he's watching this and, you know, it ends from there, but it doesn't. It, from that aspect, it was already a half hour in. You know, the, all the action came in a half hour and then all the closure started happening after that uh that first half hour action we later see sam he uh gave his word to uh a very injured sharon uh saying that he will help her get pardoned for the crimes that she had uh against back in civil war and um and was asked to be an agent again once he she was pardoned now here's the bad part about that she accepted wholeheartedly 
The problem is that Sharon is a part of something deeper and darker, which may lead to the rumored Captain America movie, or actually from what the Hollywood Reporter is saying, that there is going to be another Captain America movie and most likely will star, you know, uh, Sam in this. It has to. Uh, and I am looking forward to this, but uh, her as an antagonist is a huge shocker here. First of all, she's Peggy Carter's niece or granddaughter or whatnot. So that's there's that. And then she was a part of S.H.I.E.L.D. at one point. She was the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. at one point in the comics. So And she also, of course, like you saw, she had a little bit of an interest with Steve Rogers, but in the comics is a little bit deeper than that. It's going to be interesting where they turn us around. It's like this could go anywhere. Like, all right, because this is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they can take liberties with their own storyline because they can have the core backstories of these people, but they can kind of flip it around. Who's to say that Hydra is not coming back and Sharon Carter could be Madam Hydra at this point? But we also got Val, who uh, who's in here as well. Valentina, who's in here as well. And she was known to be Madam Hydra as well. So we don't know what's going on with this whole entire thing. It's, it's just, it's getting crazy with uh, what is going on. So we also see a scene where the remaining Flag Smashers are being apprehended, taken to the raft. And we have one of the guards who whispers in very Hydra fashion, one world, one people to say that he's, you know, along with these guys. This leads to a huge explosion uh, in the prison vehicle, killing off the remaining super soldiers in the Flag Smashers group. The camera then pans uh, to a black car where we see Baron Zemo's butler with a controller in his hand, which leads us to believe that he was the one that killed them for Zemo. Zemo, meanwhile, is in the raft and we go to the raft uh, where we see Zemo in the cell with a radio and he's held, um, you know, he's held prisoner. But he hears a news report that all of the remaining members are dead based on a car body. Mission accomplished there. We go to another scene where, you know, Val and John's wife uh, is talking as they find out that uh, they got an email talk, finding out that the smack, uh, flag smashers have uh, died. And Val kind of takes credit for that by saying that she may have been a part of that. She may not, but who knows? Julia Louise Dreyfus is just awesome. I, 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 can I say that again? I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. I love Julia Louise Dreyfus. You know, I even Veep is actually a really great show too. You know, it's a reason why I got awards. I love this show. I love this show, and I love the fact that they acquired her as well. She's going to be a piece of work. I, I I can see it coming. So, what they're doing is they're waiting for John to come out in his new suit that we've been waiting for, for, for Marvel Comics fans have been waiting for for quite some time. He comes out, he is wearing the same suit, but in black, white, and red. And in fact, it is then that Val declared him no longer Captain America, but the US agent. And he is officially born in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The suit looks cool. Uh, it looks way better black than it does um, that blue or red color. It, it, I loved it. I love the blue and red because it looked inorganic. It looked faked. It didn't look like that was not cat. <laughs> you know, something was off-putting about that, that that color scheme that they did it with. But this one, I love it. And officially, he's working with Val. She said, expect a call from him. And, you know, they seem to be happy because they got it. He's back in the, in the field I, to, win it, to which... In, I don't know. Do we still don't know what Val's 
situation is we know her situation as much as we know Sharon's situation. So this is going to be interesting where they, where these two characters are going to be. Um, we're, we're going to progress here. Uh, Bucky, 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 Bucky makes his amends by telling Yuri the truth about the death of his son and how he was killed. Nothing's shown whether Yuri actually forgave him or Bucky explained in detail, but we see him take, uh, leaving the house very subtly. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a sad scene. And I hopefully, I was hoping that at least he had a chance to tell him why he did it. Cause he just said he had no choice. And I'm like, that's just, you know, you got to play your words, right? <laughs> you got to say that you were a sleeper agent you were out of control. You can't, you know, it might just try to help you recon reconcile this friendship that you have at least. Um, but he left and, you know, he also leaves, uh, goes past the, the bar that he was uh used to go to with yuri and he sees the girl that he actually had a little i had a date with in the first episode and uh i don't know what's going to become that situation either bucky sends uh the therapist meanwhile a bag with steve's book showing all of the names finally crossed out now first of all if i'm that therapist and i realized that i have a book from the winter soldier and if you find out that that book was actually owned by Steve Rogers, do you know how much you could get that on eBay or just put that off for auction <laughs> because of the significance of that book? That's all my collector's mindset came in with that. I'm like, they got a, she has an authentic original book with Steve, right? Uh, Steve Rogers handwriting in there. And, uh, yeah, that that's a collector's item right there. <laughs> okay. By the way, I failed to mention that at the beginning of this episode, the Senator, thought at, you know when he asked who uh sam was and he said that he was captain america i didn't mention that the senator was like wait i thought captain america was on the moon so that whole rumor mill is still happening as we speak so the last scene is a, a very heartfelt scene a conclusion which uh has sam return uh isaiah uh isaiah's home to talk about what happened sam also invited him both Isaiah and uh, Eli uh, to uh, the Captain America Memorial at the Smithsonian Museum, where he secretly presented him with the memorial honoring his contributions to the country, followed by a gold statue commemorating his services as a hero. This was such a heartwarming scene because what I loved about the scene, if you watch, if you watch um, Carl Lumby or Isaiah. It's so heartwarming. You can see him getting real emotional. You see him holding his uh, grandson's hand and they're both just having this moment that is just, you can't, you can't make this up. It, you know, it was total empathy and it was beautiful. It was such a beautiful moment. It, I, I remember talking about last week on the Select Start episode, uh, you know, uh, video game podcast about how the character Jax from Mortal Kombat was so torn between his emotions of helping Kronika and helping you know or in, in destroying the planet or trying to help uh, his daughter Jackie and he was torn with himself and you could see his arms shaking and his head down and kind of disgust and you could feel that emotion right there this was kind of that same situation you had this moment where he's walking towards the statue he really understands what's going on it's really resonating to his mind and he's finally seeing the credit that he's been waiting to get for so many decades for so many generations 
and he's being commemorated. And his arms were shaking and he was holding his son's hand very, very, very tightly. That was such a great moment. And he looked at Sam and he shook his hand like a really hard man handshake and he hugged him because he never in his years, he thought he would die before he would ever see any recognition of his contributions as Captain America and everything that he went through as Captain America during those times. This episode was just so amazing. And we go back and we see them back at the, uh, at, with his sister and they're all having a great time. We see the boat sailing now. It's all put together. They're having a celebration and we just see Sam and, and Bucky, you know, almost like the best of friends at this point. And boom, that's how the show ends. Thank you, Marvel Studios. What you've done with this series, what you've done for a whole entire culture. Thank you. It was just undoubtedly one of the best things I've seen in 2021. I love WandaVision. WandaVision was a great, awesome startup, and I won't compare and contrast the two. They're both great series, but this one hit home. It hit home in such a way. It stuff that needed to be said. This is what Marvel Comics does. They tackle issues that nobody else is tackling in the format that they can do, and they do it best. Stanley has been doing it for years. Jack Kirby has been a part of this for years, and they help make change, especially during a time where change was far from it. Two white Jewish men was fighting for civil rights in their own way by creating a narrative, creating a world that where everybody can be a hero. And that is still going on to this day in 2021, 1962 and 1963 to 2021. And I thank all of them for being, for, for what they've done here. Kevin Feige, everybody, the writers, producers who put this together, the showrunners. This is just amazing. This is just absolutely amazing what they've done here. And I, I, I just look Malcolm Spellman, who is the showrunner of this show and created this show. Um, thank you, brother. This you couldn't have written a better script. You couldn't have said, you know, written better words for, for these guys. And the topics needed to be said. This is there's no way I'm going to not stop watching this. This is hard for me to say, but like this may be. For, for significant reasons, I may actually like this better than the Winter Soldier. <laughs> because, I mean, yeah, the Winter Soldier will always set the standards. But, like, significantly, the Winter Soldier and Falcon and the, um, and the Winter Soldier reminds me of the PS, uh, PS Spider-Man and Miles Morales, where I love what they did, what Yuri Lowenthal did with the role of Peter Parker and Spider-Man. But when they did Miles Morales and that story which kind of is in the same realm as this. And we saw the Black Lives Matter mural and the, the suit that he wore and, and, and such. And 
I, it, it engulfed that same emotion out of me. Marvel has a way of really doing that. And I so appreciate that because we need to see this. We were, this was a celebration of our value. And I could not thank them enough for this. I want to, before we even uh, end this segment, I want to um, read something from one of our ACMG members. Uh, shout out to Bo Warren. He's one of our members in our ACMG Facebook group, by the way. If you want to join this group, if you're 18 or older, if you have a profile that actually is interactive uh, and it's been so for over five years, come on and join. Don't be afraid. Socialize. People need to learn how to socialize more on social media and have fun, not to sell your product, not to promote yourself for any brands or anything, just to talk about all things anime, comics, movies, games. Go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash ACMG one. Join the fun. But Bo, who is, who is, by the way, Caucasian or white, whatever you want to call it. He, um, first of all, he, he said that that's what we're discussing. Uh, well, I said that actually, um, he said, truth, the show hit me hard and it makes me want to be a better person. That's a lot to take from a comic book show. <laughs> That was his, that was his actual words that he quoted after you know commenting on our uh, talk time uh, spoiler specific post uh, in regards to this to the episode. Um, you know he's a he's a man he's a white man living in this world. You know he understands his privileges. He understands that there needs to be change in those privileges as well. And the fact that he said the show hit him hard that's saying a lot. And if if that's his response to the show that kudos to marvel because they did exactly what they were intending to do and it said it makes him want to be a better man that speaks volumes right there there you have it folks if you haven't checked this show out if you haven't got disney plus what are you waiting for they have proven that they are worth every bit of the money that they're asking for right now so there's my plug to that Folks, that will do it for what's new in the world of ACMG. We're going to take a break. Come back. We're going to review Mortal Kombat on HBO Max and in theaters right now. And we're going to see if this lived up to the hype. We'll find out right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dax Xavier Josiah, the host of ACMG Presents Talk Time Live, the podcast. You want to catch up with all of our podcast shows and hear from some of the hottest names in all of anime, comics, movies, and games, such as... This is Miley Flanagan, the voice of Naruto. This is Stephanie Shea, the voice of Sailor Moon. This is Ruben Langdon, voice of Ken Masters and Dante from Devil May Cry. Hey there, this is Kyle Abair, the voice of Ryu from Street Fighter V. This is Chris Battle, character designer of Teen Titans Go. Here's your chance to check out all of that and more on Talk Time Live.com. TalkTimeLive.com provides all of our ACMG content with new and previous episodes, exclusive interviews, articles, and much more. Visit TalkTimeLive.com and let us help you learn to let go, live life, and love all things ACMG. Talk Time Live. Hey, this is Bob Camp, co-creator of The Renaissance Show, and you're listening to ACMG Presents Talk Time Live. Do it. And now it's time for our talk topic of the week. Ready? Wait. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with our talk topic of the week, and it is my review of Mortal Kombat, the reboot for 2021. And before I even talk about this movie, I just want to let you guys know that behind the scenes has been crazy. I recently had some issues 
with my uh, Yeti mic and I had to go online to figure out what the hell was going on. I want to give credit to the great people at Reddit. <laughs> Every once in a while, they do come through with some great knowledge and I was able to troubleshoot this with no trouble and I am very happy. So shout out to whoever that was that I whose uh, comments I read in the forum that helped me solve this problem. And I am back. So let's talk about Mortal Kombat, people. Um, man, this movie, <laughs> this movie was really, really fun. This was a really fun uh, action packed movie. I felt um, whether it lived up to the 1995 one, it's going to be a hard thing to talk about here because in in a lot of ways it did in a lot of ways it didn't but did it do the job of making it entertaining and really you know kind of you know celebrated the essence of what the story in the game was about that was you know fleshed out and developed by ed boone after the john tobias years i think it did i think it did in its own way this wasn't a direct storytelling of the original game they decided to take a little bit of liberties with this one and decided to actually um you know come up with a another original storyline with some new elements i consider this the new 52 version of mortal kombat if you will so i came into this wondering how they were going to go about this were they going to reinvent the will by you know saying you know explaining the same story which i had no problem with i love what paul ws anderson did with the original despite the fact of his outdated uh, dialogue and you know um characters if you will but it still holds it you know that that movie still holds dearly you know it, it, this is just a more updated fleshed out intense <laughs> version of it now that they went red flag on this one and it didn't disappoint to me. It didn't disappoint overall. So we're going to talk about uh, some of the elements of what I liked and what I didn't like about this because there were some changes in here. They, like I said, they did take liberties. So we'll talk about those changes and, you know, what goes on from here. I do want to point out for those like myself who owns a Samsung 4K smart TV, there's an issue in regards to this movie for some reason. Whoever, you know, uses the HBO app, it, you know, Samsung has the um, the L the OLED 4K TV, which is tremendous. I love this TV. However, if you have the app, the HBO Max app, for some reason, when playing this movie, there's a glitch that or a bug in here that distorts the optimization of the movie that allows it to fit the aspect ratio of 69. So it kind of stretches out and i thought this was weird and at first i thought it was just the movie you know you know it was the movie coming from the theaters being moved in and in fact i had to look this up because this was weird because i also have an apple tv uh device as well as well as a fire tv device so i checked on my first of all i checked on my phone to see how this looks and in fact on on my iphone it looks the way it should if you look at it from an Apple TV, it looks exactly the way it should. But on the app connected to the Samsung uh, t smart TVs, it's distorted. So I looked up and come to find out that there is an issue. And some have also said that they can't even watch it. That they'll receive an error message on there. 
Uh, it is known that HBO Max is aware of this as well as Samsung and they're looking into fixing it. Now, I was able to watch it. I was able to watch it, but in distorted view. And then now that I, now that I watched it twice and now that I've you know, noticed that it's better, I'm going to end up watching it again, which I have no problem with on, uh, app, on my Apple TV device, at least until they figure it out. The only problem is I don't have the updated apple tv device so it's not in 4k that's the only problem that i have with that so you know it's it's one of those issues it'll still be 1080 which is still fine and it's still 4k when you watch it in that distorted view but you want it to be in perfection so i figure they'll probably fix this bug probably in the next week or so it'll be back to its normal uh resolution aspect ratio if you will but it didn't take away at all from my experience of enjoying this film so let's talk about the story here the, the, at least the beginning story, because I, I, I really kind of like what they did and how they did it. But the changes is really interesting here. It mainly focuses on the rivalry between uh, Shirai Ryu and the Lin Kuei, uh, which leads us to Hanzo Hasashi's, a.k.a. Scorpion and Bihan's rivalry that dates back to feudal Japan in 16, uh, 17, which is very interesting here, because if you know, if you follow Mortal Kombat, since its debut way back in the 90s then you kind of know that they based the rivalry of the clans to recent time like there's a recent clan rivalry in in our current time instead you know they went off and did it this way which i find to be very interesting here so uh going along with this we have the scene uh that is very accurate to the core story of the game uh, a story that you also have seen similar to on scorpion's revenge the animated movie that came out last year which if you compare and contrast in terms of close to source scorpion's revenge is very close to the source of the game than this movie is this movie is like a whole another universe version of what we're doing here not completely because some things are intact but other things are definitely changed um but, you know, this is set in feudal Japan, 1617. This scene was, uh, was probably the more accurate to the core story, uh, yet it was based on a, a current uh, era or genre, if you will, or period, I should say. Sub-Zero and the Lin, uh, Lin Kuei, uh, Lin Kuei, I should say, invades uh, Hanzo Hasashi's compound to assassinate the entire Shirai Ryu clan, including Hanzo's wife and child. Now, we saw that, again, in many storylines prior to. So this is actual intact here. However, the wife hid their son, uh, hid their other newborn uh, in, in harm's way, put it in, in under the uh, the panels uh, at that point. Bihan uh, comes in asking, where's Hanzo? To which she is definitely afraid. I wouldn't blame her because yeah, Bihan is just ridiculously creepy um, and decides to kill them off by freezing them and stabbing them through using uh, pier uh, piercing ice. Um, he tries desperately to reach uh, to him, but he fails to do so. And Hans Bihan also kills him as well. Suddenly, as Bihan is dying in his last breath, he hears the crying of his child. He tries to reach out to his child as best he can and uh by the way before he did all this before he even got to be Han, he was you know taking out a whole bunch of you know ninjas within um the link way uh using 
the iconic spear and a kunai knife that he uh, used in very cool violent kill bill like scene uh, if you will but he hears the child he can't reach to the child he ends up dying for the loss of blood and being you know stabbed severely and he ends up in the ground where suddenly he is engulfed in fire and disappears while suddenly it begins to rain and it as well as thunder and lightning we then see raiden appear as uh, he takes the child in a way into safety so because he did that the lineage that is uh hasashi still remains as well as the dragon uh insignia that is applied to the the dragon uh sign that is applied to everybody there and they display explain it here so i want to talk about the noticeable changes because it goes on from there and the storytelling the storytelling of here is where it gets you know is where it changes up because what happens is instead of them being all chosen ones just to be chosen to fight they're chosen based on a birthmark that is being passed on to you know each each fighter you know as as rather from heritage or just by killing somebody else the purpose of the dragon mark on fighters which allows them to have special powers and abilities to fight in the mortal combat tournament by the time the tournament comes if chosen uh if the chosen one dies the person who defeated them will be granted the mark now what i do like about this this is totally different from what we are used to in the mortal combat universe in the core mortal combat universe what I like about this is that it has an element of Highlander. And if you've watched the movie Highlander starring Christopher Lambert, who uh, is, in fact, the original Raiden from the 1995 movie. Raiden, uh, Raiden, I mean, I'm sorry, not Raiden. Christopher Lambert played Connor McCloud in Highlander, and he was an immortal who lived forever. And there was a whole bunch of immortals that lived forever. And they were in this competition called The Quickening. The basic rules to this is that they, you know, each immortal will face each other in a in in any battle uh, using swords, and whoever chops the head off of the immortal gains the power of the other immortal, making them more powerful. And it's they will keep fighting until there is only one. And Connor McCloud, and and at that time became the only one. At least we thought he did, and he began to gain the quickening. This is kind of on the same realm as up there, not immortals. And in this case, they gained the power of, uh, they gained their own abilities, if you will. So it plays off of that. Uh, also, what is noticeably changed in this is a new character by the name of Cole Young. Uh, and I will talk about the characters and the actors from there uh, in a minute, but he's a new character to the franchise. Uh, he is a descendant. I will, I will spoil this. And if, Look, if you're listening to this right now, you obviously have seen the actual movie. So this is indeed a spoiler alert. But you know, Cole Young turns out to be the descendant of Hanzo Hasashi, a.k.a. Scorpion. He was the descendant of the child that Raiden saved throughout those years. And since he never fought uh, in the tournament and it was prepping for the tournament, each of the descendants of the Hasashi uh, clan died and the mark has transitioned over so it transitioned all the way to over to cole who is an mma fighter uh who happened to have beaten a former champion uh in the past and we'll talk about that significance too there are easter eggs all over this thing i loved it uh cole young was definitely a pretty good character i liked him in here and um he was a great addition and it played well to the story here Jax is another change here because not only 
He does he appear in a prequel, which he never really appeared in an actual prequel, the first Mortal Kombat game, and that was based on a hardware situation. For those who don't know, you know, you know, they were limited to the amount of you know memory space they were able to put. So Jax, who was originally supposed to be an uh, original, never made it to the original. That's why when you see new stories, that they keep adding him to the original storyline uh, in there. Even in 1995, one he was in the uh, he was in the movie. So. We didn't see Jax until the second, you know, Mortal Kombat 2 and then on from there. But what's changed here is that Jax got the Dragon Mark because he took down somebody on a mission. And that's when him and Sonya started understanding that there's something deeper in here and there's this big tournament that's coming and whoever has the mark is chosen to participate in that tournament in the Earth Realm. So Jax not only appears in the prequel of Mortal Kombat, but he also has bionic arms and that is based upon his his dragon mark apparently and it's it's a weird thing with that what happens here is that they're kind of rushing the idea of him getting these arms which originally in the in the game he got those arms in mortal kombat 3 because in mortal kombat 2 he didn't have those arms he got those arms because the storyline said that he he got his arms taken out and he was replaced with these wrote with these cybernetic arms or not even that the original one he didn't even get taken out with his arms being ripped off he just decided that you know these outworders are going to be you know these outworders are going to be a major threat so he needs to enhance his way and therefore he put together his arms if you watch mortal kombat annihilation to their credit they played upon that's that scenario that was in the uh, original game so despite how really bad that movie was they at least you know stayed intact with the story despite everything else <laughs> there but in here that's a little bit of a change here um he got his arms ripped by sub-zero they the uh shaolin monks were able to retrieve him and stabilize him enough to add these mechanical arms and the dragon mark pretty much you know did the rest when he was managed to manifest his uh powers and ability that was kind of weird i'm still a little iffy on that one i want to also note that you know like i said it wasn't by the special forces which thank goodness they that backstory is still there that him and sony are part of the special forces even though we didn't see a lot of the special forces in here at all it's just them two in some crappy trailer or whatever there uh sony's abilities as well also was supposed to be from special force technology it was not because of the dragon mark storyline they decided to say that sonya's abilities did not come from the tech rather than from the dragon mark after killing uh kano in here <laughs> we'll talk about kano indeed kano also did not have a cybernetic tech from the black dragon you know clan of his own uh from the black dragons he got it from the dragon mark Again, this is really interesting what they did with turnaround. I mean, like everybody was affected. Also, appearing early, the last newt I have as far as the changes, the last, uh, the characters appearing early in this one was uh, Reiko, who we don't see, who premiered in Mortal Kombat 4 during the Shinnok debut. Cabal, which, you know, premiered in Mortal Kombat 3. Um, we also see Natara, which we saw in Deadly Alliance, and of course Melina, which we everybody's favorite Melina, who we should not have seen 
until we saw like Katara first. And that leads to the question with where the hell's Katana, not Katara, where the hell's Katana? That's that's interesting. We see Melina first before Katana. That's interesting. Somebody in our ACMG group uh, had a suggestion that there's a possibility that this Melina could be one of many because in the in the actual core video game especially when you watch um mortal kombat 9 then you've seen that there was a scene in there when they when they were rewriting things that there were more than just one uh katana and i mean um melina in there there was a bunch of different melinas uh cloned and manufactured in the outworld so that could be the situation because unfortunately she was killed off by Liu Kang. No, not by Liu Kang, by um, by Sonya when she finally got her powers um, after getting the Dragon Mark. So again, it it, it works for for what it's worth. Even though it it they took liberties and they altered the storyline, the storyline was still pretty good. It was it, it made sense. It, it it was a nice little inkling. It is what it is. So uh, let's talk about the Easter eggs in here too. Um, Jax mentioning that Cole beat. The, the champion that I mentioned was named uh, goes by the name of Eddie Tobias, which I love. Um, he beat him for an M- M- uh, local MMA title. I love this because it was just a nod to Ed Boone and John Tobias. So I thought that was cool. Um, pictures of Koto Khan and Nightwolf were shown from the past. Now, interesting that we don't know if Koto Khan is still current and alive or immortal or whatever. Nightwolf, however, is very interesting because we know that of course in the core story nightwolf is is a generational uh title that is given to each tribe uh tribesman who takes on the title so that could have been an old nightwolf and we may see a new generation nightwolf coming in the later movies as well so that's interesting my favorite one of my favorite parts of this movie with one of my favorite people in the movie involves kano as they show shinnok's amulet and i i really got excited to see this because shinnok's amulet was a really center point of both mortal kombat uh mortal kombat uh 10 and 11 uh it was the mcgovern if you will that led to raiden becoming evil raiden and with the red lightning and the red uh you know lightning and, and electricity that he was generating and he part of the reason why Liu Kang ended up dying so it's very interesting that they showed that and it was a little moment where Kano stole or tried to steal it, but Liu Kang caught him in the, in the midst of all that. And he told him to put it back and Kano was like, put it back. So that was an interesting situation there. Also, last Easter egg that I found in here, and there could be more, but parts of the music used uh, for the first, used for the movie was a tribute to the iconic uh 1995 techno track that everybody loves that shouts out the mortal Kombat and sh- does the roll call for everybody so i like the fact that they had some elements of the 1995 you know giving paying tribute to that because it really say what you will i mean i again i watched it a few couple weeks back and despite the fact that it was a little bit outdated and campy it still was a very fun film to watch and they did pay homage homage to a lot of what we loved about the game and and, and the storyline was very much way more intact than this movie (laughs) uh when it comes to like they just went straight to the tournament like it you know so it what it did what this movie kind of did right now 
was that it it, it really kind of you know it went away from the idea of the story but it also still kept a strong narrative that we can still say like okay they went this way normally i'm against going you know people going away from the storyline element but they kind of stayed intact with certain things certain story um certain storylines and backstories were still really well done in here so um you know kudos to greg russo and uh and simon mcquad who directed it for that you know amongst other screenplay writers and everything as well so let's talk about the actors and and you know what i thought about them um you know lewis tan is cole young very convincing i really you know after especially after learning more about the character i really i did not mind the character at all i you know because he's nowhere near anywhere of any mortal Kombat lore at all but he was a pretty good addition here i really felt that he gelled in well with the you know story and in the universe that is mortal Kombat. um he is a hasashi descendant uh, or you know um, he's a descendant of the, the hasashi claim much like kind of kung lao is of all the kung laos there and he played really well even to the storyline of the dragon mark you know so i i liked him i'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with this character you know as the time as time goes by as well so um you got jessica um mcnami who plays sonya blade and in my opinion i think she's the best sonya blade I think she, out of all the Sonyas, not in counting, not counting the ones in the game, but the three Sonyas um, uh, that has been played so far, I think she was a much better in terms of natural ability to pull off this character. Like, I never the the the, the actress who played on Annihilation, I felt like she was just there for display. I think um, the original Bridget, I forgot her last name, um, who played the original uh, Sonya Blade in Mortal Kombat. I thought she did really well. I think she, I thought she set the standards. I think this one from Jessica uh, McNamee, I think she did a great job. I really enjoyed it. It felt natural. Uh, it felt more up to date. Uh, it didn't feel campy at all. And she played it off really well and convincing, especially when she was off with, you know, her rivalry with Kano. It felt believable. Josh Lawson, without a doubt, as Kano had to be the absolute MVP of this entire. He was not only the most charismatic dude, but he was also the funniest. He was the comic relief. He made you believe that he was Kano to a T. I loved him in here. I'm not even mad that he died because I got a feeling he's going to come back. That's I'll talk about my predictions with that, but he is very convincing i liked everything about him i don't think this is the last time we're going to see kano at all here um josh i mean i'm sorry joe uh Tauslam as bihan and sub-zero the man mr raid himself <laughs> mr raid redemption himself lived up to the name bihan he was absolutely awesome in here he i would say in terms of uh you know fighting scenes and intensity and characters that really played i think he made you hate him he made he, you made he really made you believe that he was sub-zero and he was a force to be reckoned with throughout this whole entire film i mean his fighting scenes were awesome uh they talked about if you watched the behind the scenes with him you saw uh especially with uh Makad brooks you know J uh, james olsen of course from uh, supergirl and he's jacks he talked about how fast he was and how intense he was in playing this and 
compared him to Bruce Lee. And you could kind of see the intensity that he put in. He really put his emphasis and made it believable. I thought he was awesome in here. Uh, speaking of Makad uh, Brooks, I thought he did a really good job as Jax. I thought he was believable. I didn't know how this dude was going to be able to pull it off. I knew that there was a chance that he would be able to be believable Jax. Uh, all mustache Steve Harvey jokes and memes aside, which, by the way, he loved. He said, I remember uh, he was on Dish Nation and he, they were talking about that. They brought it up and he said he loves black Twitter. <laughs> it was funny. But at the end of the day, mustache or not, he pulled off that role. I loved him as Jax. He was awesome. Uh, he was fantastic as him. He was very believable. He had some really funny and great moments as well, especially when he did his fatality and the comment that he made after, which, which I will not repeat. Um, it was really cool. I the only think the only grape I have about his uh, the Jax character is not his character in, in general. It's the situation around him getting these arms because of the dragon uh the dragon um mark i wish here's the thing that they didn't do i wish they would have done a lot of people wanted to see the gotcha move where he grabs somebody and just start punching them in the face that would have been cool um his fatality was awesome i what i didn't see him is do the smash to the ground or do the um or do the energy wave that he gets because he has an energy wave move from it so maybe hopefully we'll see that in the second film but i don't think he's established or fleshed out and then the weirdness of him gaining mechanical tech you know almost robotic arms enhanced robotic arms from the dragon mark was just kind of a little bit it, it didn't suspend my disbelief totally but i was like okay i'll buy it for now <laughs> you know it, it didn't really for me but it, it regardless because of his portrayal of the character it worked. It, he made it work for what it was worth. So right there, um, Emily and Allison, uh, Matilda Kimber, uh, who played the daughter of Cole Young and, um, Allison played by Laura Brent was pretty much, they were pretty good. They were, they were there. They weren't, you know, they didn't stand out. They didn't stand in, um, didn't take away from anything at all. They were just, you know, side pieces to the whole thing. Um, Tara Nobu Asano as Lord Raiden. You know, for what is worth, he did pretty much a he did what a rating can possibly do. Um, there's going to be a lot of comparisons between him and, and Christopher Lambert, and I'm one of those people that's going to side with um, Christopher Lambert in his case. Um, I liked him as Raiden. I didn't totally love him as Raiden. I think Christopher Lambert's Raiden brought in a lot of, you know, uh, commanding you know, it was a commanding role for him. I thought that he he really brought it. He brought attention to it more. He really, you know, stood out more. And he had a bit of charisma. Like Lord Raiden, like um, Tata Nobu's Raiden didn't really show personality until the very end. You know, he was a little bit more hard-nosed at the beginning. You didn't couldn't really fill him out as much but you know it didn't take away as well um he would probably and i agree with um one of our acmg members anthony who chimed in in our post uh you know our talk time posts and he said that he was kind of a weaker character and then in some cases like he wasn't bad he was he didn't he didn't dilute the movie but he you know out of all the performances that were there yeah i would have to agree he is kind of like the weaker uh of the performances of this one but you know i you know if for what is worth 
he it worked it worked um hidoyoki sanada as hanzo hasashi aka scorpion also did a great job uh he he really gelled well to the rivalry of behan and here um they were the big focal points of this movie and they couldn't disappoint because you know the rivalry between sub-zero and scorpion is iconic and i thought him and behan lived up to that perfectly they did really well um chen han this is another one this is another one here that's going to be debatable and because everybody when everybody thinks about um when everybody thinks about pretty much you know shang soon there's only one shang soon that everybody's going to think about here and that is uh carrie tagawa uh and it's gonna be hard. Let me rephrase that. Carry Hiroyuki Tagawa here, and it's gonna be hard to really compare that. Like this, the, his his uh, Shang Tsung, Chen Han was a really good Shang Tsung. Don't get me wrong, I liked him as Shang Tsung. He was good. He was merciless. Uh, he I liked the fact that his whole eyes dilated black. I liked that aspect. He did seem kind of sinister. But when you got Carrie Hideyoki Tagawa, he owns that role. It's going to be hard to fill those shoes. And it's honestly, they could have used him again for this. I think the other part that really kind of takes away from this guy is that they, like I said, we talked about this when we talked about Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings is that his look mimicked that of Mandarin so it's, it's there's some hard things to look at here so hopefully it'll change his look the next time around it just possibly it's a unforeseen coincidence that they actually look the same in this case it, there could be a lot to be said about that the fact that you got two different movies and they got their depiction of what these two kind of similar like characters look like that may hit a bit of a, a snag there. So, you know, that's another story for the time. But, you know, overall, I I liked it. I liked it. It, it. it didn't stand out completely, but he did play to the all the elements of Shang Tsung. Um, everything that was every characteristic about Shang Tsung, including the soul stealing, which he took from uh, Kung Lao, which was pretty well there. It was so it was solid. It was solid at best. It didn't. It wasn't over. It wasn't under. It was just right. So, um, Ludi Lin as Liu Kang. I think he did a pretty good job. Um, I think Robin Cho also did a good. I think he was never been as good as Robin Cho, in my opinion. Um, didn't take away, didn't, you know, go it there. And we don't know what's going to happen next. But, you know, I, I, if, if all the people that have the dragon mark, I thought his was, he, he had it the best. His made sense, even though, you know, we know on the core video game he got his techniques from the shaolin temple and everything as long along with kung lao but it, it, it worked for them it worked for them and i thought he did a great job he was the very honorable disciplined Liu king that we all expect to know and love out of here so i'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to do next with that character um max hung for what is worth i loved him as kung lao he he played the most accurate kung lao probably the only kung lao we, no there was another kung lao that we saw in uh in one of the mortal Kombat live actions but oh and and uh in the series he was in there no this was indeed the best kung lao i've seen 
to date. Uh, he played exactly the way they did. They all of his move sets was there. Um, he really did a great job. He played just like the Kung Lao from the video games. Per, if and, and in fact, besides Kano, I would say this Kung Lao was probably most accurate character of the bunch that I mentioned so far. So, you know, kudos to him. And it was unfortunate that, of course, just like Kung Lao in the video game, he gets to be the sacrificial lamb. So he was the one that got taken away from there as well. Um, CC Stringer as Melina was uh, pretty good. Now, the question is, you know, is Katana coming? And then also, will she be playing Katana as well as Melina? I'm hoping that is the case. I hope that they don't go a different route and make her look different or whatever like that. Um, Natara, played by uh, Mel um, Carson. Or Jarson, I should say. Uh, just, you know, she played... She wasn't really a pivotal role in here. She's kind of a background character here, but still played it well. It was cool to have to see Nataro in there. And uh, that was Nathan Jones. That Rico was Nathan Jones. I thought he looked familiar. People, wrestling fans, <laughs> if you really are a wrestling fan, Nathan Jones is a name that goes way, 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 way back in the wwe nathan jones was supposed to be a wrestler that was supposed to supersede brock lesnar that did not happen he was just a huge dude that was probably better suited for movies and in fact it was better off he was he left wwe he went on to do a lot of great films such as mad max um jet Li's fearless the protector conan the barbarian he did a lot he is perfect for those roles and he was perfect here as he played Ryko. i knew i recognized that dude he looked familiar i you know <laughs> he was awesome he was awesome he wasn't there for, just to do total things but he was just a, a you know a big dude that played big dude things in here um they also had a computerized girl in here who was able to fight off um cole young who i i really liked the way that they handled that he was um you know cgi this time and it looked great you know it looked, looked really like uh incredible hawk level great in here so i i really dig what they did here so um so my pros and cons for this really it's basically this the pros i thought there was better acting there was better dialogue there was great fighting scenes all characters did their signature moves to the, to an extent not all you know every move but to an extent it was very as, as violent as we expect it to be and should be um the fatalities were cool characters were very believable uh story while slightly altered was enjoyable and some characters backstory stayed intact so that that, that kind of really helped the fact that they changed the storyline the storyline around so i really appreciated that um the only cons that i have was not explaining how melina is connected to katana even though we saw katana's you know fans in the same area in the temple where shinnok's uh amulet was so very interesting about that uh having melina in the movie before katana was kind of a throw off to me uh, katana being uh i mean uh killing off melina even though as we talked about recently there could be more melinas after that so who knows where to go with that um rushing some of those characters progression that was a thing too jack's arms like i said was kind of a throw off to me too not a deal breaker but a throw off um killing off goro before the tournament begun that was to me because the story here was that shang soon plan was to try to kill off earth's warriors before the tournament giving him the advantage and the leverage to win the final tournament 
because there were nobody left to uh, to be able to face him. And he, that whole thing was foiled. Uh, Goro was also killed by uh, Cole Young as he was trying to defend against his family. So my thing here, the side note of this was that Shang Sun did say death is just another portal as he took as he left and took away both Goro uh, and Bihan. So th at this point, Bihan can end up becoming uh, Noob Sabot, which is the character that was that Quan Chi ended up uh, recreating Bihan after um, Scorpion killed him in the game and there's a possibility that Goro can come back to life or they may turn him into Kentaro which is another Shao Kahn uh character which will be really odd for them to do so hopefully they'll bring him back you know they'll find a way to bring Goro back to uh life and make sense out of that and have them all come back for the tournament because the, this whole thing was kind of a prequel to the actual tournament that they're supposed to have that the elder gods require them to have in order to have mortal combat so that's going to be an interesting thing um what else do i have here just the last bit of things is like some favorite scenes anything involving kano was just funny was hilarious and awesome the reveal of cole young's past and purpose cabal cabal for for what it's worth I didn't say the name of the character, the guy who played Caval, because let me see if I can find him here. Uh, Daniel Nelson. He was awesome. <laughs> For the short time that he was in this movie, I liked him. And they really played him to, they really played him off. Like I said, the backstory of him was intact. He was involved with Kano. Kano's the reason why he got this respirator that he's wearing. He still had all of his abilities that from the game as well, which was really cool. And his fight with Liu Kang was pretty darn awesome too. So um, Cabal was definitely awesome. The fight between Goro and Cole was great. The battle in the temple, what involves all of them was great to be honest. Um, the sacrifice of Kung Lao, again, I actually like that. I actually like that at all. Um, if Kung dies, you know, who gets the mark? That's the question I need to ask, because he died. He has powers. He had the powers from the Dragon Mark. Who will be the new descendant of Kung Lao? That's going to be a question here, because if they don't answer that, there's going to be a loophole in this story. So just keep that in mind for the next movie to come. Uh, anything, any fight involving Sub-Zero, especially uh, his fight with Scorpion, uh, again, he did a great job with him in here and the whole thing and then the pit fight with Reiko versus Jax now the only thing I was thinking the only thing that bothered me about that scene was was I not the only one because they were fighting in the 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 iconic pit stage where you can easily knock somebody off of the pit bridge down the spiky deadly pit they had him in this thing yet they totally failed to just knock him out into the pit i'm like what was the whole point of that <laughs> so um but it was cool to see that the pit stage was there so my only predictions again uh i i think we didn't it's not um we're not going to see the last of kano i think kano's coming back uh to be in a tournament as a cybernetic being they didn't show him being taken away at least i don't remember of course i'm going to watch it again to find out but uh i think he's coming back i think there's somehow some way they're going to bring him back and i think that's when he's going to have his cybernetic you know uh attachments because he had a taste of power 
and he wants that taste of power again. He wants that red laser eye again. So this would be a perfect time to really add that on as well, especially and, and then also, you know, add in more to the what the Black Dragon, you know, uh, gang has been up to in, in that sense, too. So. Uh, and then I think we're going to see Shao Kahn in some form or fashion. I just hope they don't rush it completely to the point that it's like, OK, it just there, there's some things that were fleshed out so well in the in, in 9, 10 and 11 that they could easily do. And if they follow that platform, I think they'll do a really good job, at least not rush everything so much. I think certain things could have been held for the sequel and whatever like that. I know there's a lot of characters that they can pull from and, and from, you know, Mortal Kombat 1 to Armageddon. But just not rush it. Do not rush this at all. I like what they did so far. Hopefully, they'll continue with this um, this saga, which is uh, said to be coming out with another movie soon with COVID. Now, slowly going away. There's no doubt that they're going to do a sequel. And I, I believe this was met with uh, some success here as well. So overall, I enjoyed this movie for what it was worth. Uh, while not perfect and definitely not accurate it brought on a new form of storytelling to the classic while still maintaining some of the backstories and strong points of the narrative so uh it remains to be seen what the next installment will be but uh or or well whether it will actually have the tournament because that's still in question um but the founding characters of the original or would they make an appearance in here uh, who knows is going to be next in this thing but they have made it entertaining enough to warrant enough trust to see what's going to happen in the saga uh, and or where the saga is going to go next. So, but most importantly, it's way better than Annihilation. So for that, I give it a grade of a solid B. This was a definitely if you're a fighting game fan, if you're a fight, uh, fight, uh, fan of Mortal Kombat, this is a definitely can miss movie. And not only that, um, I took the liberty of doing a acmg poll that asked is the new mortal kombat better than the 1995 movie the results are in and 70 percent of our acmg members have voted yes to 30 percent no and i am kind of in the middle of this i i think it's better in a sense that the like i said the pros kind of outweigh the cons of the pros of this movie mentioning the better acting better dialogue the more fight scenes yeah in that aspect because the fight scenes weren't heavily edited um you got to see way more fireballs than you ever did in both more and actually not even just both mortal kombat movies but everything that mortal kombat every live action mortal kombat anything that's ever come out <laughs> you got to see more action more accurate fighting than we've ever seen before and for that yes it is better than the actual uh 1995 but it takes nothing away from what paul ws anderson has done with the original mortal kombat movie because that was the template to create what was this movie now so kudos to them kudos to everybody involved in this and hopefully this can be the start of some great great sequels to come from there so ladies and gentlemen that will do it for me on this episode of talk time live and i hope you guys enjoyed it and uh again guys uh we're getting back into the swing of things. It's going to be a nice week this week. So enjoy yourselves out there. Learn to let go and live life and all that <laughs> outside in the real world. Uh, it's going to be in the 70s and 80s in Philadelphia. So enjoy yourself. Uh, we'll be back with some more stuff coming next week. Some more things to talk about and, you know, things to do. Same with uh, Select Start. A lot of gaming news hopefully will come back after this. Um, 
This week was a very intense historical week, so I'm sure there wasn't a lot of news going on in the world of gaming, but hopefully we'll get back to the swing of things. You'll we'll have more information from there as well as maybe a review or two. We'll see. So, um, but stay tuned for much, much more. Again, May is coming, so there's going to be uh, some guests. Amanda C. Miller's coming. Uh, I may have some more information coming down the line as to what I'm going to be do- doing next with Repop. That is in the works right now, so stay tuned for that. But for now, if you want to listen to this episode and every episode that we have, we got over like 400 episode podcasts available for you. That's not even including the interviews that I've had with some of the best names in all things anime, comics, movies, and games. Check out our website at talktimelive.com. You can check our shows out there. You can check out the exclusives. If you hit the tab that says Talk Time Live exclusive there, and check out our um, interviews with some of the best in our favorite fandoms there. If you want, never want to miss an episode and you want to subscribe and download every episode automatically, no threat. We are available on all of our favorite podcast platforms, such as Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Audible, Pocket Cast, and Pandora. And maybe some other hidden ones, hidden gems out there as well that may have this show. I found this show in some crazy, in the craziest of places when I Googled it. <laughs> that is available on. So, um, you know, thank you to everybody who always keeps supporting this and keeps this show stable and growing. And it is growing every single week with downloads and everything. So I'm very happy. I'm very grateful. And I just look forward to uh, enjoying what's next. So that'll do it for me, folks. On behalf of myself, this is Dax Xavier Josiah saying, learn to let go, live life, and love all things anime, comics, movies, and games. This is ACMG Presents Talk Time Live. I am out of here. Take care and have a great week. Music for this episode is provided by Game Chops. Check out these great chiptune tracks and more at music.gamechops.com.